Hello and welcome to the Design Life Podcast, the official voice of the NC State College of Design. I'm your host, Max Cohen. If you're spending a lot more time at home and not in the office lately, there's a chance that you've become much more aware of how you value the outdoors. You might be spending more time on your local greenway, sprucing up the garden in your backyard, or just taking a few minutes away from your home workspace to get some fresh air. But how do these green spaces actually affect our mental health? What does it mean to have a well-designed landscape? Today, we'll be talking with Anne Spafford. Anne is not only a professor of horticulture, but a student in the Doctor of Design program here at the College of Design. She's currently researching how landscapes work in a therapeutic capacity and how designing green spaces can be used to treat mental health issues such as depression, anxiety, and post-traumatic stress. Thanks for joining us. You are now listening to Design Life. And thank you so much for joining us. Let's kick this off with a little bit about your background. Could you tell us about what you do and what brought you into the DDES program? I am an associate professor in horticultural science here in the College of Agriculture. Um, I teach, I have a 100% teaching appointment, so that means I teach um, 21 credits a year. So I do all sorts of landscape design classes, planting design, permaculture, green infrastructure, um, but I also get to do a lot of hands-on projects with my students. Um, one of the projects I had been working on was bringing my students to juvenile justice, and they really needed a trauma-focused care garden because the kids that are in that center uh, or those, uh, those places are coming out of really horrible environments, and they didn't choose to be brought up in that environment. And so the juvenile justice centers are a last ditch effort of trying to keep them out of the prison system. And so um, I partnered up with this woman and she really wanted to get a garden program started. So um, I brought my design class and my students out and we started researching that. And that just kind of relit a fire of that kind of research and the way that um, place and space can impact human health and well-being. So you already have a direction for your research, but do you have a specific issue statement behind your your current endeavors? I do, and there's a story embedded in there as well, right? So um, in 1984, a researcher named Roger Ulrich published a study in Science Magazine, which is, you know, hard to get published in. It's it's, it's very hard to get published, right? And so he published a two-page article on a nine-year study where he looked at hospital patients in for the same kind of gallbladder surgery. And a lot of the variables he was able to keep constant. Half of his sample group had views out their windows to trees, and half of the sample group had views out to another facade of the hospital. And what he found was um, just uh, going through like the the medical data, the group that had views to trees recovered faster, they used fewer pain meds, and they had less negative notes um, from the nurses, right? So that was monumental and that got everybody's attention. And then they started realizing, well, maybe there really is like medical data that can support the benefit of landscapes. Right, um, and so now, f- almost 40 years later, um, I'm interested in has the state of 
um, therapeutic gardens advanced or the value of green spaces advanced. So we have had 40 years of research, oodles and oodles of research projects. But have you noticed, you know, an increase in the quality of green spaces? Or is there a way of tracking how many therapeutic gardens have been built? And so some of my questions are like, what are those numbers? Um, what are, what's the quality of those landscapes? And are they successful? Like if they have been designed to um, be therapeutic in some way, how do we know they're working? And so then that gets to looking at the metrics. And when you, and what are designers using in developing those garden plans, right? So um, they should be using like, they should be doing evidence-based design, right? So they're pulling from medical information or other research studies. But when you look at some of the projects that are out there, actually a lot of the projects that are out there, keeping in mind I'm just at the beginning of my studies, right? Um, and the tools that are used, right? The tools are really just assessing good design, right? So when a book says, hey, these are 10 uh, qualities that a therapeutic landscape should have, that listing of 10, it's almost always just good design. It's like, yeah, there should be seating in sun and shade. The seating should be comfortable. It should be accessible. She, people should be able to find their way to this garden space, right? That's all just good design. That's not really a therapeutic um, component. And then the other thing about these assessment tools is they're just evaluating the place. And it's, I think what's gonna be more important is looking at the experience of a person in a place. So how do we get at that data? And that might start to be more narrative or can we um, maybe part of assessment is interviewing or having users of a space do journaling and then coding those answers and trying to pull out what things are really important to them. So there's, I think all the stuff that's not being tapped yet. And some places are doing a really interesting job of that. Like there are some gardens in Sweden and Denmark that um, try to provide a variety of spaces that match people's mental state. So if, you know, you could barely get out of bed this morning and you just can't deal with people, you need to be in a space that is that has more nature in it or more natural components, right? And then the more, uh, the stronger you get mentally, the more um, you are able to deal with other people and then your need for natural elements goes down, right? So they're, they're doing some really interesting things, but none of the metrics that are out there right now address that. And some metrics is like they are really looking at ecological health of, of a design landscape. And that's of course, extremely important. And you can make a case saying without ecological health, there would not be human health. But when you look at the metrics, you have, you know, 198 points for environmental things, and then just a few points for mental health, physical health. And so it's a little squirrely because a lot of the health stuff actually could be embedded in the eco uh, ecological side, but it's not teased out in that way. So maybe a new metric could be developed, and so I'm interested in doing that. But I'm still kind of winnowing down what the project could be. Can you tell me a little bit about 
where you are in the DDES program or how long you've been pursuing this particular type of research? Oh, so I am just like a semester and some change in, mm. right? So, but I've been thinking about this for a while. And um, I had done a lot of like cursory research with the Juvenile Justice Project before I came into the DDES. And that's sort of what lit the fire to come into the DDES saying, man, I really want to just, I want to take on more research. And I want to dig a little bit deeper. And I want to find some hard answers to these really important questions. And how do I make space for that in my schedule, right? So I am, really type A, so I work 60 hours a week like normally because I love everything that I do and I have a hard time saying no to stuff, but I'm like, I really, really want to take this on. I think I can do it. And the D does is great because it can sit on top of everything, right? You can take a full load. You don't have to take a full load, but because it's online, it actually facilitates going through and getting like another degree and taking on a research project easier because I'd been thinking about, man, I really want to do like a doctorate program. But like a couple years ago, several years ago, it's like, I can't, I'm not going to stop working in order to go back to school. I, I don't think I could handle that. But coming in and being able to do like these really challenging classes and meet um, and work with like-minded people who are also a little older, older, I mean, right, they're mid-career people, right? So ideally... The DDES students are people who have been out in the world and working for a while, and then they identify a gap that needs to be taken on. And they're still working, but now they're gonna take on this challenge and then take it back to their practice and make changes, right? So, and that's sort of where I am, but I'm in a different boat where, you know, I already have these set classes that I teach. I really wanna start folding in more research. So the DDES starts to position me for, well, what is my next chapter? And maybe it's not what I've been doing, but it could certainly be uh, several other things at this point. And to me, it's fascinating. And I think someone at this juncture, I mean, I've always loved what I do. I wasn't dissatisfied at all with what I was doing, but I am a lifelong learner and I love being challenged by new things. So I'm like, okay, well, what's next? What's next? And what else could I do? And how else can I make an impact? And that's, that's I think, probably important to all of us who are in the program. Even though you're still early on in the research process, and there are a lot of unknown factors in where it's going to go. Sure. Have you had any ideas about goals that you're looking to accomplish with the research? Or is it more of just for the sake of gathering data and having that accessible to other people interested in this topic? Uh, no, I am definitely moving towards making this research very tangible in a way where it can benefit many other people. And it's interesting that like also at this juncture, like mental health is has become a tremendous problem. Like one in five people are dealing with a mental health issue. And so if it's not you, then it's someone you know, probably someone, maybe someone you work with. And we're, as Americans especially, we're not really dealing with this very well. In Sweden, like stress was, is like a national crisis, right? So, and there's some other European countries that have made taking care of their citizens more important than the GDP of their country, which I think is, is phenomenal. So where this is going, hopefully for me, is looking at 
And this is also stemming from some of the um, European research I looked at um, where they have connected to a university, they have a therapeutic garden or ther therapeutic landscape, right? And so people can go there to get treatment. Um, students can go there to learn about these types of spaces that maybe the students also need some treatment. But then it's also where research is conducted. And I think that could be a tremendous goal that moving forward and perhaps at this juncture, at this time when like mental health is so um, critical, this is a good time to start saying, well, how could we do that here at NC State? How could we do it at other universities? And what is being done at other universities? And is that a model that can actually work in the United States? And maybe it could be a different kind of model, but I really love that idea of getting people, because our students like learn best by um, seeing real sites, dealing with real people, being involved, and, and hands-on participating fully. And it, it can make a world of change. And I think those experiential things can maybe change the paths of our students moving forward as well. So um, even though like I'm doing this, like I've always worked in to my classes how important the environment is and how as designers we are setting the mood, we're creating a mood, we can maybe shift people's mood a little bit, but we're trying to design a space that makes people feel a certain way or can make people feel a certain way. What kind of feedback have you gotten from other people in the research community, whether it's a college of agriculture or college of design, have you, have you had a lot of conversations with other people about mental health and green spaces in particular? If so, what have, what have those been like? So that's interesting. So I haven't really pushed this idea of this kind of a space like at a university yet. I've been talking to just a few people like in the College of Design and in my department and and they think it's great. Um, but it would actually end up being a really large project because we want to bring on like medical people. However, you know, I've done small projects on campus like I did the um, pollinator habitat on the green roof at Tally, right? And then also the pollinator garden at the Gregg Museum. And so that had, those two projects have tremendous visibility and have had many students from the university from like all disciplines um, come and help and, or they come to a workshop and they, they all are moved by the space. And as you know, if you talk to the people on the sustainability fund, like more and more proposals are coming in that are trying to incorporate more spaces like that, which I think is great. So I think at some level, like this resonates with students. And so I think once this idea, once it is start to be shared, I think it'd be really easy to get people on board, like ph philosophically and theoretically, but then it's like, well, how do we actually make it happen? You know, what are the logistics? Like where would it be in the funding component and everything? And maybe like one of the things that I'm interested in too is um, at the university, like we have like the three standard pillars, right? Teaching, research, and extension. And extension is particularly important because they're the people that take what's happening in the university research-wise and they take it out to stakeholders and constituents of the state, right? And I don't know that that's done in design as much. And I could be mistaken just because I'm holed up in, in in cows, which that's just part and parcel of what we do, but that's really how the whole university functions. 
But we do have, so the College of Design has the Natural Learning Initiative, and that's the closest thing, I think, because they do amazing work. So they do fantastic research, they take other people's research as well, but then they package it in a way that um, constituents of the state can use, whether you're a designer or an organization that is gonna be developing like a natural playground. So that's the closest thing we have to design extension. And I think that is another really important piece that we need to have. So how do we get all these, all this great research that's happening here out into the hands of design practitioners? You know, whether it's architects, landscape architects, or interior designers, how do we push that even farther to make sure that, um, they're operating with like the latest and greatest research and then it's easy for them to get a hold of that. So, and that goes back to a point that I didn't make earlier is, you know, when these, when landscapes that are supposed to be, you know, promoting human health, like are built, it's like what guidelines are being used? Where do designers go for their information? So a lot of the books that are out there just have pretty standard guidelines that really fall into what's good design. Um, and then we have all this research that's being generated and published, but isn't really making it into the mainstream. And so when I started the DDIS, I'm like, I want to do this research project. I want to look at maybe the, um, you know, the, bio the, the biology of what's happening when people are in these amazing spaces or in horrible spaces. But then like the more classes I took and the more I talked with my cohorts, it's like, well, would another research study move the needle in a tangible way in creating more spaces. And I don't think so. We have almost 40 years of research. So is another project gonna do it? So that's why, well, maybe I need to look at the metrics and relook at how those are. And from using a tool that I develop, you know, maybe different guidelines could be generated, right? So um, it's just interesting. So researchers, um, designers aren't gonna be looking at research articles necessarily. And the books that are out there aren't as robust as I think they could be. So there, there's lots of issues here. So then the point is how do, you, how do you narrow it down and take on something that you can do really well in the amount of time that you're here for the DDES program. So I think all of us are in that boat. It's like we, it's funny, I think what, when most of us started our master's programs many, many, many moons ago, it's like we all wanted like, to change the world. And now it's like, and then you learn, okay, you're actually just doing a little piece. But now, like when I started the DDES, like I still want to change the world. But, you know, you're constantly told, nope, you're just doing a little piece. You're doing another little piece. And, and that can be hard on some days. But you need to pick something that you can do really well. And that requires making it a small piece. Ann Spafford, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you so much to everybody else who tuned in to the Design Life Podcast. Next, we'd like to hear from you. Is there a design topic that piques your curiosity? Are you interested in graphic design, industrial design, architecture, research? If there's something you'd like to hear us talk about, reach out to us on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. All of our handles are at NC State Design. And if you want more stories from the College of Design, you can visit our website at design.ncsu.edu. Thank you so much again. Until next time, this is Design Life.